If you'll open up your Bible to Exodus 12, kids, that's the big number, verse 1, and we can dive into God's Word together today. Uh, You might have noticed I'm I'm going to be teaching from a kid's Bible today. Don't panic. I'm not interpreting pictures. It's full text. I just think it looks awesome. Like, it looks fun, right? Like, I used to have a brown Bible. No, this is great. This is cool. There's colors on. It's awesome. So I'm going to use that today, um, and it will read just like yours. It just looks better, okay? Now... It might be slightly controversial uh, that the children's guy isn't going to come up here and teach out of Deuteronomy 6 for his first sermon. But when I was given the opportunity to preach, this was a passage, Exodus 12, that I just read through and studied myself. And God was making it clear what he wanted me to bring to you guys today. Now, I had no idea that it was exactly where the kids would be in their studies. That's important to me, kids, because you're important to me. And I want to explore Exodus 12 today in the same way that I would teach the kids. We're going to read what the text says, and then we're going to ponder on what it teaches us about the story of the Bible, the story of Jesus, that one story that changes everything. So God had a plan to rescue his people from Egypt, from slavery. There was a problem, though. This dude called Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, I really struggled to spell Egypt when I was younger, until I kind of remembered it as like Egypt. And so the downside of that is when I read my Bible, like I still sometimes in my mind I'm saying like Egypt. And so I will do my best to pronounce it properly. And my people invented the language, so I feel a bit on the spot. So I'm going to do my best to make sure that I'm saying it right today. So in Exodus 5, Moses goes and confronts Pharaoh. And Pharaoh responds with this. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? Pharaoh was in full denial of the authority of the Lord, which just made things worse for the Israelites. But in Exodus 6, verse 5, God promises freedom. This is what it says. Furthermore, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I've remembered my covenant. Kids, that's the covenant, that's the promise that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then in Exodus 7 through Exodus 10, we read about Moses and Aaron going before Pharaoh time and time again, asking for freedom for the people. Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and and this is where all sorts of things come to play. God sends plagues of water turned to blood, frogs, gnats, flies, death of livestock, boils, hail, locusts, and darkness. Kids, you'll get the chance to dive into that next week, so that'll be fun. One time, Mike McGuff did bring like some kind of grasshopper in a bag to kids' church. So if he's teaching, he may have a grasshopper in a bag, okay? It was dead. He is not cruel to animals, okay? So then, in Exodus 11, God outlines a tenth and final plague, one that he actually warned Moses about in Exodus 4. This is what he said. And you'll say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. I told you. Let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. Look, I'm about to kill your firstborn son. God as creator and king was going to break Pharaoh's stubborn resistance through a devastating display of his power. Now the act seems horrific from the outside. Even when we think about the context of Egypt and how the Israelites were enslaved and mistreated badly. And Hebrew infant boys were born with a death sentence. But regardless of what morality we try and look at with, we've got to remember that God's plans and purposes are far beyond what we see 
and at times can understand. And again, like in the other nine plagues, the Israelites would be exempt. They would be safe. It says, not even a dog will snarl in Exodus 11, verse 7. Now, raise your hand if you have a dog or have ever had a dog. Anyone have a dog? Or ha- okay, that's a lot of people, so you guys will, you can put your hands down. You'll kind of know what I'm talking about, hopefully. That's always good in a sermon. Sometimes dogs will start to bark off fuss. And sometimes you know why, and sometimes you have absolutely no idea why it's going on, okay? There seems to be no reason for the insanity, and yet, there it is. And it doesn't take much, or seemingly any disturbance, for dogs to start showing off their vocals. And so when I read those words, not even a dog will snarl, it's abundantly clear that the Israelites will be totally unaffected by the plague. Now what is different that we see about the 10th plague in Exodus 12 is this. Unlike the other nine, the Israelites are given some instructions. They're required to do something in order to be protected. Join me as we pray and then we'll dive in together. God, I thank you so much for today. Um, I thank you for the honor it is to, to get to gather here together as, as Normando Baptist Church. I thank you so much for the kids that have helped worship you today and that have led out in service. And I just pray that would be pleasing to you. And I thank you so much for the many little lives that are with us here. And I pray that you'll be with us as we disciple them and point them towards you. Lord, I pray you'd help us focus on what you have for us today through any distractions. Lord, I thank you so much for all that you do for us, especially the one story that changes everything through Jesus' sinless life, death on the cross, and resurrection. So in your name I pray. Amen. Oh, amen. Yeah, some amens. That's good. All right. So here we go. Exodus 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month is to be the beginning of months for you. It's the first month of your year. So God speaks to Moses and Aaron, and he lets them know a fresh beginning is around the corner. He's following through with what he said would happen in Exodus 11. Now we think of it as a new year as a new start, right? So many of us, when it comes to the new year, that's the time we're going to get the gym membership. And the gym membership is going to work this year, right? Like we always think of a new year, things are new, it's different now. And the reality, a lot of us find out that when we think it's different now and we try that gym membership, it doesn't really work out. But when God says it's about to be different, he's true to his word. And for the Israelites, it was about to be different. This was the turning point. This was when God was finally going to break Pharaoh's stubborn resistance. Verse 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families. One animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. In verse 3, God is commanding his people to act together. He says the whole community to pick a lamb to slaughter. Now God's wording of according to in verse 3 and apportion to in verse 4, it's making a way for smaller, poorer families 
have access to the step of obedience he's about to ask them. The idea is that if a house was big, they would kill a lamb, and they might have more than enough meat. They might have way more than they needed. And so they could invite people in who didn't have enough, who maybe couldn't have killed the lamb and fed for themselves to be obedient. They were invited to join in. God was giving every Israelite a call to respond, and he was making sure every one of them had what they needed to be obedient to him. Now, the animal we read has to be unblemished, and Mason talked a little bit about that last month when he preached on Leviticus. Basically, unblemished. It has to be the best. That's God laying out his standard. And you see that time and time again in the Old Testament. What God is saying is he demands the best. And for a sacrifice, he demands purity and perfection. So the animal can be a young sheep, so a lamb, or a young goat, a kid, now, given the use of the word lamb throughout Scripture, and it says kids take over Sunday, I'm going to go with lamb, okay? Verse 7. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. They're to eat the meat that night. They should eat it, roast it over the fire, along with the unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Some of you, you guys say herbs sometimes? That confuses me, but that's Okay. Do not eat any of it raw or uncooked. Sorry, raw or cooked in boiling water. Raw is uncooked. But only roasted over fire. Its head as well as its legs and its inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left until morning you must burn. Here is how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel. Your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. So kids, you're about to see a picture on the screen that I showed you guys earlier, but this is what's happening in verse 7. The shedding of the blood from the lamb was to physically cover their house. That's what they're doing there. The family or the families that were gathered together to eat there were going to cook it in a very specific way. God's in the business of giving us clear, concise instructions that demand our following, even when they don't make sense, which this might not have at the time. So they were commanded to eat the meal with unleavened bread. Now, the leavening process took several days, and so the fact they were going to eat it with unleavened bread talked about the haste about what was going to happen. Things were about to start moving quickly, which may have also been why they roasted the meat over a fire and didn't boil it. The Bible later in chapter 12 talks about yeast as sin. They use it as a metaphor. So that's another reason why they may not have eaten with yeast. Now, the bit of herbs, or bit of herbs, some say serve as a reminder of their current states in Egypt. This is one of those times when you're reading through the Old Testament and you think the Israelites are dumb and then you realize you're kind of an Israelite too. And so throughout the Old Testament, you see the Israelites just constantly grumbling. They're sometimes mad to the point of trying to kill Moses. Why? They wanted to be back in Egypt as slaves. It, it makes no sense when you read it. But for them, the new hardship they had was always far worse than the old hardship they had. God knew that they would feel that way. And so he included the bitter herbs as a way to remind them, to try and draw their minds back to what it really was like, that for some reason they were longing for. Now it's already clear they were going to be moving in a hurry. Verse 10 highlights that. Anything left must be burned, is what it says. They didn't need to take it with them. No Tupperware with leftovers. Nor did they need to leave it behind for the Egyptians. The purpose of the meal had been accomplished. 
Now see verse 11. They're ready to go. Like, this is it. It's happening. Kids, you know that feeling when you're getting in the car ahead of a vacation? Or if you watch Peppa Pig, you'll know we call it a holiday. I know Grayson does. He knows it's a holiday. So you're in the car. You're ready to go, right? You've got like your 3DS or your Switch. You've got a book, some snacks. Like, you're prepared. You're ready. It's happening. That's what God wants for the Israelites. Now, when I was studying this, I was thinking about my dad. Now, um, I'm not like a fashionable guy, okay? And so some of my descriptions may be incorrect here. But he has these pants, and they're like cargo or khaki. Like, I'd never heard of those things before I came to America. So either we don't have them in England, or I am really unfashionable, okay? So he had these pants, and they're like cargo khaki. And, and they've got like this flap over the knee. And, and so under that flap is like this hidden zipper, right? And so this is, we call these my dad's holiday pants. And he wears them to travel in, right? It's cold, it's rainy, it's miserable in the northeast of England. And he gets on the plane and he's got his, his, his holiday pants on. He's fine, he's happy, right? And then we're flying on the plane and as soon as we get, you know, touched down in Spain, like he bends over, he unzips and pulls this off and in his backpack or like the bottom of his pants and he's got his shorts on. Like he's holiday day, he's ready. And he's prepared, right? Every time we go on holiday, that's what he's wearing, right? Guarantee it. He's ready, he's prepared, he's dressed for travel. That's what God wants of the Israelites. Probably not my dad's holiday pants, but he wants them to be ready and prepared to go. At a moment's notice, because something big is about to happen. Read with me in verse 12. I'll pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you. You must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statue. So in verse 7, we see how the blood had covered the house physically. But here we see the blood of the lamb was there with a purpose. It was to protect, to cover, to save the household itself, the people inside. No plague will be among you. Why? Because of the blood of the lamb. The Israelites had been distinguished by default for the prior nine plagues. And yet now an act of obedience was required for them to be spared. We see in verse 11 the mention of the Lord's Passover. And then here in verse 14, we see the Lord instructing Moses that this meal, this celebration, it wasn't just a one-time thing. This was an ordinance of remembrance, a festival to celebrate for years to come. He knew the Israelites, like I said before, would need a constant reminder of what he'd done for them and just how far he had brought them. Now we'll skip over verses 15 through 20. That's the festival of the unleavened bread. But basically what's happening there is God is outlining what he wants the Israelites to do after they leave. He wants them to continue to be faithful, continue to be steadfast in purity after they've been rescued by abstaining from yeast. So join me in verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood. 
None of you may go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. Keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. Now you frequently see in the Old Testament that God is going to talk to Moses and then Moses is going to go and talk to the elders and then the elders go and direct the people. That's what's happening there. That's why you see a lot of the time it feels like it's repeating itself. God is talking to Moses and then later on you read where Moses is talking to the elders and they have to go and direct the people. He reiterates God's commands. And kids, in verse 23, you see how this amazing event gets its name. Upon the side of the blood, upon the visibility of obedience following the sacrifice, the house will be passed over. Verse 25. When you enter the land, that the Lord will give to you as he promised. You are to observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, it's a Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our homes. So the people knelt low and worshipped. Then the Israelites went and did this. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Now, I posted about this on, on social media a week or two ago and referenced it today, but I find it's really easy to read the Old Testament and think about the Israelites and think about how stupid they are. They're, they are, right? I mean, honestly, you read it, you look at the Old Testament, like, these guys are dumb. What are they doing, right? You see how ungrateful they are, how ignorant they are of what God is working, the God who saved them in their hardship. They have such an inward, self-centered focus. Like I said before, they're convinced that their new hardship is way worse than the old hardship. They wanted to be back as slaves. That's how unfaithful they were. They were totally focused on self, not savior. We're just as bad. That's the reality. That's, that's the part that humbles me every time as I'm reading through and thinking about how daft the Israelites are is to realize that I am an Israelite and all of you guys are too. God's reiteration of his command to celebrate in verse 25, is almost a forewarning of what they're going to be like, what the Israelites are going to need. They would need statutes and rules and laws in place to remind them of who God is and what he did for them. They needed reminding of the joy that they felt as he passed over their firstborns, as he did what he said he would. Compared to the cries of sheer desperation they could hear all around Egyptian homes. How often do we forget the many blessings that God has given to us when the slightest inconvenience arises? How often do we find ourselves grumbling about our new hardship, wishing we were back in an old one? How often do we need to just stop and remind ourselves of what the Lord has done in our lives? Now, here's where the children's ministry side of me are going to get really excited, okay? Read verse 26. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? When? When they ask, not if, but when? See, God was demanding obedience. He was demanding the families, the Israelite community, live such a life of faithfulness that the children would look at them and ask, why? Why are you doing this? The families lived so faithfully, remembering what God had done through the Passover, they had no other response but to worship him with all they had. That's what God wanted. And that's what would have stimulated the curiosity amongst the kids. And in verse 27, they're expected to have an answer. Now, what we've just walked through together is a phenomenal piece of scripture 
but we can't stop there. Whenever we teach the kids, when you saw when I walked through our gospel project lessons, and I firmly believe the Bible is one big story, and that story changes everything. The sinless life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, think about it. Think about this story. The new beginnings we saw in verse 2 compared to the new beginning we can have through Jesus. God's instruction through verses 3 to 6 tell us that the Passover lamb should be selected five days before the feast. There's some people with greater intellect than me that have interpreted Scripture and believe that Jesus, the Lamb of God, triumphantly entered Jerusalem five days before the Passover feast. That was God demonstrating and highlighting to us His sacrificial lamb. In verse 4, we see God's heart for all people. He creates a way for everyone who desires to be obedient. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one. He offers all an opportunity to celebrate the Passover feast. John 3.16 says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Simply put, God desires all people to enter into a relationship with him. And he gives everyone that opportunity. It's a narrative we can't afford to miss. That's why I'm so passionate about trying to put Jesus and find him in the middle of every story we read back there with the kids. Re-emphasizing what Mason brought to us when he preached out of Leviticus. God demanded an unblemished animal as a sacrifice throughout the Old Testament. And here, it's an unblemished lamb. It's got to be perfect. And kids, we talked about this a month or two ago on Wednesday nights, that Jesus lived a truly sinless life, truly without blemish. Therefore, he's the only acceptable sacrifice for our sins. That's why John the Baptist confidently proclaimed, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The meat roasted over a scorching fire speaks of the wrath that God will pour out on his son, like fire, Jesus, as he hung on the cross. Verse 13 talks about how the blood was a distinction that the Israelites were going to be set apart and that God would pass over their homes. And as such, even though they were sinners, just like their Egyptian counterparts, he would pass over their sins. This lamb would result in a one-time passing over. The lamb's sacrifice, the lamb dying in the place of their firstborn, foreshadows the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Except with Jesus, it's not just passing over. Hebrews 10.10 says this, By this will we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Jesus took my place. His life, death, and resurrection paid for my sin, for your sin. And his payment of sins was not just a one-time passing over. He dealt with it. And he dealt with it once for all time. Romans 3.25 says this, God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented Jesus to pay for our sins, because whilst it says God had showed restraint in passing over sins, he's just. A payment had to be made. Sin had to be punished. But the beauty of this payment, the beauty of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is found in the next verse. He, God the Father, made the one, God the Son, who did not know sin, 
to be sin for us. So that in him, God the Son, we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. When God saw the blood on the doors of the Israelites' houses, he temporarily passed over their sins. When God sees the blood of Jesus that paid for my sin, he sees righteousness. God and man were like this in the beginning, and sin brought that. But a broken relationship between creator God and sinful man repaired and restored through Jesus Christ. Now kids, this is where, who knows what's about to happen. Kids, I need your help, okay? If you are sixth grade and younger, I need you to come and stand at the bottom of the stage. Not on the stairs, we'll just go at the bottom, okay? So if you're sixth grade and younger, if you can walk, even if you need a little help, come and stand and face everybody that's here today. You can sit on the stairs, that's a good idea. You can sit on the stairs or stand by the side, your call, but don't stand on the stage. Face everybody that you see here today. Face everybody. Face out. Lots of beautiful faces. Look at them. Smile at them. Wave at them. If There you go. Wave at people you know. Fantastic. All right. Here's the deal. My heart for kids' ministry just kept getting more and more and more excited when I was reading through this. When I read this for the first time, I was struck by how many times God instructed the Israelites to pass the Passover traditions on. The call to Moses to oversee passing it on. The charge to the elders to teach families to pass it on. And the challenge for parents to be ready. Why? Because of when your children ask. Listen carefully. If God was calling the Israelites to teach their children about this one time passing over, how much more does he charge us to teach our children about the once for all time payment of sin through Jesus? If God was calling the Israelites to teach their kids about this one-time passing over, how much more does he want us to teach these guys about the once-for-all-time payment of sins through Jesus Christ? The instruction from God went out to the whole community. It was their collective responsibility that the Passover was taught from generation to generation to generation. So, church, these are the kids that God has entrusted to us. And there's more of them out there, but these are the kids that God has given to us as a church. It is our job collectively to tell them about the once-for-all-time payment of sin through the sinless life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so here's where I need your help. I can't help you guys as families disciple these kids on my own. Um, I think we might have a classroom big enough, but it would be kind of crazy, okay? And so these are some things that I really need help with. We've got an incredible team of volunteers, but we're massively short of where we need to be. I need 20 adults to serve once a month in preschool during worship at this time. I need six adults to serve once a month in preschool on Wednesday nights. I need six more adults to join us with Kids Church during this time, once a month. I need four adults to serve bi-weekly or fortnightly, as the kids may say, in elementary during Sunday life group. That's just to be where we need to be. That's not factoring in if anyone's sick or missing. Last week, I put out a survey with a few simple questions on to gauge the role that children's ministry had played in your lives. And so they're going to come up on the screen. And I was honestly blown away by the impact. The first question, did you attend, did you attend church as a child? And all but one person did. You see, I'm a mathematician. Paul Wynn, I know I'll appreciate that. I've got some pie charts up there. So all but one person said they attended church as a child. The next question, basically, 
do you remember any of your teachers? And so about two-thirds of people did remember their teachers. And I think that's awesome. And in fact, when I give my, I give my new volunteers a form to fill in called a getting to know you form, because I want to hear a little bit about their heart. And one of the questions is, why do you serve? And so many people right there because somebody poured into their life when they were younger, and they want to do the same. They're paying it forward, but with something of far greater worth than a frappuccino. My question on the third one's a little bit cut off, but in an essence, how important do you think that time at church was when you were a child? And that was just so cool to see. Like, just under 80% of people gave it a 9 or a 10. And just under 90% gave it an 8 or higher. That's pretty important. The last one, question four. Did you make a decision to trust Jesus as an Lord and Savior when you are a child? 44 people said yes. That gives me a glimpse, just from the people who responded, of what God was doing in your lives when you were kids involved in church. And that is so affirming and encouraging to me. Because I look around now and see so many people that I care about, that I love, that are serving Jesus faithfully, and I know that God was working in your lives when you were the age of these guys. That's so cool. That is awesome. I love that. But I need your help. I need your buy-in to keep that going, to keep passing down the faith to future generations. That's all. We're going to have a cute, we're going to have some R's, I'm thinking, because I've got a cute picture that's going up. So I saw on Facebook many people super excited about Mason and Dara and their journey with the triplets. Like, there's comments going in. Left. Do we have the? Yeah, look at that. Like, there. That's the R one. Thank you, Elizabeth. We're so excited, right? We see that, and, and, and people are like, I can't wait to hold him. I just want to snuggle him. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like screenshotting all these things. Like, just wait. He's coming, right? So Mason and Dara are here. These amazing three boys are here every week in the back. And you're welcome to join our team and minister to them. These kids are there every week, and they would love for you to join them too. In England, we had this guy called Lord Kitchener. In America, you guys had Uncle Sam. And I don't know if you're following with me, but those iconic posters, a cry for help in a time of war, a call to action, was your country needs you. This is the reality of it. These kids, their parents, they need you. They need you to jump in and disciple them. Myself and the preschool ministry leadership team will be out there in the foyer, in the atrium afterwards. We would love to help you as a church member find a spot to dive in and help us disciple these sweet kids and minister to their amazing families. Kids, thank you for being up here. You can head down to your seats unless you're in the choir. Kids, you can get on stage and get ready for that. So here's the deal. That actually went surprisingly well. I was unsure about how we would go with kids on stage. But that was good. That was good. It's always nice when it goes well. Okay, so I'm going to give them a minute just to find their place. So here's the deal. The Passover in Exodus 12 is an incredible story to read. But if we don't read it in the light of the story of Jesus, that one story that changes everything, we've missed out on so much. With Jesus, there is no need for God to pass over sins temporarily. Because if we trust Him as Lord and Savior, as we say with the kids, if we make Him the boss of our life, then the price is paid. It's paid for all time. As Jesus says Himself in John 19, verse 30, 
it is finished. If you feel an uneasiness or a wrestling in your heart, if you desire to have that once for all time forgiveness of sins and walk into a relationship with Jesus,